What a tomato. No, no, seriously. I actually want to eat a tomato. I love tomatoes. Where did you get that tomato? What a tomato. Dude, it's a fine, beautiful tomato. I want to eat one too. I want one right now. I like to eat them like an apple with salt. Tell me, where'd you get the tomato? What a tomato. Are you high? Just tell me where I can find a tomato like that. What a tomato. Is this a metaphor? What a Tomato Produce Company in San Francisco. For all your wholesale produce needs, 2055 Jared Avenue. Hope your legs are looking sexy, because we're going to charm your pants off. Come to the Charm Offensive Comedy Show at Punchline San Francisco. It's a night of great jokes, magnetic personalities, featuring the Bay Area's most awarded comedians, plus national headliners. You'll laugh. You'll swoon. And when you regain your composure, you'll swipe right. Tuesday, March 7th. Doors at 7, show at 7.30 at 444 Battery Street in San Francisco's Financial District. Brought to you by Paco Romaine and Destiny's Moms Comedy. Our last show sold out, so get your tickets now at punchlinecomedyclub.com. Charm Offensive at Punchline Comedy San Francisco. Tuesday, March 7th. See you there, sexy. Good morning, mutineers. It's Labor and Love coming at you. Miles Davis to open the show. Welcome on a Saturday. You might like to dance 
And I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on. San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, Good morning, mutineers, labor and lovers. This is the bee coming at you from Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street on a Saturday morning. Every Saturday between 10 and 12. Labor and Love, the show that tells you what it's like at the workplace. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. That's how wealth is redistributed in this country. If you don't have a seat at the negotiating table where you work, you're probably on the menu and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good Saturday morning. Here in the Mission District, it's a little bit overcast. Rain passing through. 
This is the B, a.k.a. Bill Morgan, working the day shift with you, the morning shift. And we started out with little Miles Davis from Bitches Brew, I believe, that that album. Uh, then we got on to our, one of our normal, one of our regulars, Bob Dylan. You got to... You got to serve somebody. Now, if you're a working person, you got to serve somebody. You're either going to destroy the earth or you're going to save it. If your job requires you to destroy the earth, you're going to have to serve somebody. It's not going to be easy. Might have to turn down a good job. You're going to have to serve somebody. Then we got on to La Bama Rebelde, Porque Somos Chicanos. That was Las Cafeteras singing about resistance and Chicano pride. And Paul Robeson, which uh, was a recording of Joe Hill celebrating the great labor poet and activist Joe Hill who was railroaded by uh, the copper interests and accused of a crime and uh, under very questionable circumstances and eventually uh, executed. And as he says in the song, I ain't dead everywhere working people organize. Joe Hill is there. And the great Paul Robeson. Have some more Paul Robeson later on. We're going to sort of jump the gun on Robeson's birthday, April 7th. Because I'll be out of town. I'll be uh, gone halfway across the world. What do we got for you this morning? Well, there's a bill introduced in Arkansas to ban Howard Zinn. Now, why would they want to ban Howard Zinn? One of our his labor history features is a strike against the Stalinist regime in 1932. You think you got it tough? Think you got it tough? Strike against Stalin by women? We'll read about that. Eight Democrats joined Senator Paul LePage crazy Governor Paul LePage in Maine to strike down uh, an initiative that was passed in, in Maine to establish a minimum wage, to raise a minimum wage. March 7th, 1965, Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama. We'll have Radio Labor and we'll have Labor Radio. We'll have Willie Nelson on Donald Trump and we'll have some Labor Notes. All today on Labor and Love. Here's one for the working girls.
To think about the origins of hip-hop in this culture, and also about homeland security, is to see that there are, at the very least, two worlds in America. One of the well-to-do, and another of the struggling. For if ever there was the absence of homeland security, it is seen in the gritty roots of hip-hop. For the music arises from a generation that feels, with some justice, that they have been betrayed by those who came before them. That they are, at best, tolerated in schools, feared on the streets, and almost inevitably destined for the hellholes of prison. They grew up hungry, hated, and unloved. And this is the psychic fuel that generates the anger that seems endemic in much of the music and poetry. One senses very little hope above the personal goals of wealth to climb above the pit of poverty. In the broader society, the opposite is true. For here, more than any other place on earth, wealth is so widespread and so bountiful that what passes for the middle class in America could pass for the upper class in most of the rest of the world. Their very opulence and relative wealth makes them insecure, and homeland security is a governmental phrase that is as oxymoronic as crazy as, say, military intelligence or the U.S. Department of Justice. They're just words that have very little relationship to reality. Now, do you feel safer now? Do you think you will anytime soon? Do you think duct tape and Kleenex and color codes will make you safer? From death row, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. All right, that was our kickoff set. Maybe a little strange, but uh, there are connections. First was uh, Maquette, uh, Michelle Degocello <clears throat> and Toshi Ragon, House of the Rising Sun, the classic about young women prostitutes. And when you think about the scope of history. Think of all the young women who have gone to serve the patriarchy, who have found the only way to support themselves so they could eat and their children so they could eat was by prostituting themselves. That was the choice that the, patriarchal, the patriarchy gave them. House of the Rising Sun traditional song who knows how far back it goes after that was Zorba's dance um, I'll be going to Greece next month um, what do you do when things are tough when a, a fascist is uh, is unelected president but still becomes president and uh, brings with him uh, a Hades full of uh, the worst people for working people. An attack. It's an attack on working people. If you sum it all up, the attorney general is going to attack their civil rights. 
the Secretary of Labor is going to attack their workplace rights. The Congress is going to take away their health care. It's an attack on working people. So we had uh, Zorba the Greek. You dance is what you do when something happens. You dance. Frederick Nietzsche said, never spend a day without dancing. And then we ended up with Mumi Abu Jamal and his take on the government programs, Homeland Security, that are designed to make us safer. And on the roots of hip hop, a generation that was that is unwanted, hated, exercised. Ah. Just got to keep plugging along. Got to keep going on. Well, let's let's look at uh, John Lewis. John Lewis remembers uh, Bloody Sunday. Before we get to that, we're still on here. John Lewis talking about I saw death. People are expected to travel to Selma, Alabama this weekend for the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, when hundreds of peaceful voting rights activists were attacked by police crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge as they attempted to march to Montgomery. The date was March 7th, 1965. Bloody Sunday was the first of three attempted marches from Selma to Montgomery, which was finally completed under federal protection and led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One of the protesters beaten on Bloody Sunday was Congressman John Lewis, then a 25-year-old organizer with SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I was beaten by state troopers, knocked to the ground, in 2012, I had a chance to sit down with Congress member John Lewis, now an esteemed member of Congress who will lead a congressional delegation to Selma this weekend. I asked him to talk about that day in Selma, Bloody Sunday. On March 7, 1965, a group of us attempted to march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, to dramatize to the nation that people wanted to register to vote. One young African-American man had been shot and killed a few days earlier in an adjoining county called Perry County. This is in the Black Belt of Alabama, the home county of Mrs. Martin Luther King, Jr., the home county of Mrs. Ralph Abernathy, the home county of Mrs. Andrew Young. And because of what happened to him, we made a decision to march. In Selma, Alabama, in 1965, only 2.1% of blacks of voting age were registered to vote. The only place you could attempt to register was to go down to the courthouse. You had to pass the so-called literacy test. And they were told people over and over again that they didn't or couldn't pass the literacy test. On one occasion, a man was asked to count the number of bubbles on a bar of soap. On another occasion, a man was asked to count the number of jelly beans in a jar. 
There were African-American lawyers, doctors, teachers, housewives, college professors flunking the so-called literature test. And we had to change that. So we saw too large. And we got to the top of the bridge. We saw a sea of blue, Alabama state troopers. And we continued to walk. We came within hearing distance of the state troopers. And a man identified himself and said, I'm Major John Cloud for the Alabama state troopers. This is an unlawful march. It will not be allowed to continue. I give you three minutes to disperse and return to your church. And one of the young people walking with me, leading the march, a man by the name of Jose Williams, who was on the staff of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., said, Major, give us a moment to kneel and pray. And the Major said, Troopers, advance. And you saw these guys putting on their gas masks. They came toward us, beating us with night sticks and bull whips, tramping us with horses. I was hit in the head by a state trooper with a night stick. I had a concussion at the bridge. My legs went out from under me. I felt like I was going to die. I thought I saw death. All these many years later, I don't recall how I made it back across the bridge to the church. But as I got back to the church, the church is full to capacity. More than 2,000 people on the outside trying to get in to protest what had happened on the bridge. And someone asked me to say something to the audience. And I stood up and said something like, I don't understand it. How President Johnson can send troops to Vietnam, but cannot send troops to South Alabama to protect people who only desire to register to vote. The next thing I knew, I'd been admitted to a local hospital in Selma. Explain that moment where you decided to move forward, because I don't think the history we learn records those small acts that are actually gargantuan acts of bravery. Talk about, I mean, you saw the weapons the police arrayed against you. What propelled you forward, Congressmember Lewis? Well, my mother, my father, my grandparents, my uncles and aunts, and people all around me had never registered to vote. Uh, I've been working all across the South. The state of Mississippi had a black voting age population of more than 450,000, and only about 16,000 were registered to vote. On that day, we didn't have a choice. I think we had been tracked down by what I call the spirit of history, and we couldn't, we couldn't turn back. We had to go forward. Uh, we became like trees planted by the rivers of water. We were anchored. and. I thought we would die. I first thought we would be arrested and go to jail, but I thought it was a real possibility that some of us were down that bridge that day after the confrontation occurred. I thought it was the last protest for me, but somehow in some way um, you have to keep going. You go to a hospital, you go to a doctor's office, you get mended, and you get up and try it again. So what was the next act you engaged in? Well, we continued to organize, continued to try to get people registered. We went to federal court and testified to get an injunction against Governor George Wallace and Alabama state troopers. And the federal court said that we had a right to mourn from Selma to Montgomery. 
President Johnson spoke to the nation and condemned the violence in Selma, introduced the Voting Rights Act, and that night he made one of the most meaningful speeches that any American president had made in modern time on the whole question of civil rights and voting rights. He condemned the violence over and over again. And near the end of the speech, he said, and we shall overcome, we shall overcome. We call it the we shall overcome speech. I was sitting next to Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., as we listened to President Johnson, and I looked at Dr. King. Tears came down his face. He started crying. And we all cried a little. But we heard the president saying, we shall overcome. And Dr. King said, we will make it from Selma to Montgomery, and the voting rights act will be passed. Two weeks later, more than 10,000 of us, people from all over America, started walking from Selma to Montgomery. And by the time we made it to Montgomery five days later, there were almost 30,000 black and white citizens, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish men, women, young people. It, it was like a holy march. And the Congress debated the act, passed it, and on August 6, 1965, President Lyndon Johnson signed it into law. Congress member John Lewis, remembering 50 years ago tomorrow. He was one of the leaders of the march, had his head bashed in by Alabama state troopers, among with scores of other people who were wounded. He will lead a pilgrimage to Selma tomorrow. Democracy Now! will be there and broadcast from Alabama on Monday. The Edmund Pettus Bridge is named for a Confederate general who escaped three times from capture. He was also Grand Dragon of the Alabama Ku Klux Klan, as well as a U.S. senator. The group Students Unite have launched a petition to change the name of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is Democracy Now! When we come back, we go to Chicago to speak with the challenger of the current mayor, Rahm Emanuel, Chewy Garcia. Okay, uh, Congressman John Lewis remembers Bloody Sunday in Selma. Uh, that was uh, Democracy Now! from a couple of years ago. The interview is just as timely now as it was then. Uh, Lewis speaks about how you can't quit. He was beaten so badly that he uh, has a metal plate in his head at this point. Now these things, these actions by people, by regular people, by workers, by activists, are exactly the kind of thing that others want to do away with. For example, a bill was introduced to ban Howard Zinn books from the Arizona, from the Arkansas public schools. The deadline for new legislation is fast approaching and it can't come too soon. Just in from Representative Kim Hedren, legislation to prohibit any publicly supported schools, U2 charters, 
from including in curriculum or course materials any book or other material authored by Howard Zinn. Actually, anything Zinn wrote before 1959 is not covered. This is the uh, Arkansas Times reporting. Zinn, who died in 2010, was a Ph.D. historian, social activist, and more who wrote best-selling People's History of the United States. A version for young readers came out in 2007. Proudly, unabashedly radical, this is Kim Hedren, the representative, with a mop of white hair, Mr. Zinn, who retired from the history faculty at Boston University two decades ago, delighted in debating ideological foes, not the least his own college president, and in lensing what he considered platitudes, not the least that American history was a heroic march toward democracy. These are... Uh, this is the New York Times. Almost an oddity at first with the printing of just 4,000 in 1980, a people's history of the United States has sold nearly 2 million copies. To describe it as a revisionist account is to risk understatement. A conventional history account held no allure. He concentrated on what he saw as the genocidal depredations of Christopher Columbus, the bloodlust of Theodore Roosevelt, and the racial failings of Abraham Lincoln. He also shined an insistent light on the re revolutionary struggles of impoverished farmers, feminists, laborers, and resistors of slavery and war. Our nation has gone through a lot. Vietnam War, Civil Rights, Watergate, yet the textbooks offered the same fundamental nationalist glorification of country. He was criticized for being revisionist. He said that criticism barely raised a hair on Mr. Zinn's neck. It's not an unbiased account. If you look at people from the perspective of the slaughtered and mutilated, it's a different story. And that's exactly what Zinn did. If you haven't read the book, read it. Get it and read it. It looks at uh, American history from the point of view of the workers, the people who've been left out. Traditional history tells us about generals, business people, uh, who was president when they provide no or very little account of the contra, the against people, the people who resisted racism and resistant government policy and resisted the power of corporations that broke people down and impoverished them. Zinn is about those people. And as he said... There's no such thing as an unbiased account. You take a point of view, right? And you're honest about the point of view, but the point of view doesn't mean that you already decide about things. It means that you ask questions. 
It guides you what's important. Maybe it's not so important who's president in 1848, James Polk. Maybe what's more important is the out-and-out theft of half of Mexico's territory by the Polk administration, by another trumped-up war. Uh, No pun intended, but certainly works out. So when people like this want to get rid of Howard Zinn, we should fight all the harder for Howard Zinn. Everybody should read Howard Zinn. A People's History of the United States. Here are eight Democrats. The minimum wage rollback attempt. You won't see much about minimum wage campaign, will you? In your regular socialized, homogenized history books. But here it is. It appears Democrats in the main legislature are splitting on the minimum wage with at least six Democrat, Democratic representatives and two senators breaking with their party to co-sponsor legislation to roll back part of the minimum wage increase just passed by statewide referendum. In January, tipped workers like restaurant servers received their first wage in eight, raise in eight years, with the base wage going from $3.75 to $5 an hour. It was raised. It was raised, y'all, to $5 an hour. Under the new law, they'll continue to see gradual increases over the next 10 years until sub-minimum tipped wage reaches the full minimum wage. So they were uh, not, they were excluded from the minimum wage because they get tips. <clears throat> Governor Paul LePage, this is the guy who talked about hustlers coming up to Maine and selling drugs and getting white girls pregnant. This is the LePage who wanted to erase and did. Had a painting of Cesar Chavez removed from the state capitol. LePage vehemently opposes raising the tipped wage and has railed against the voter-approved minimum wage increase at nearly every public event and media appearance. Makes a huge difference, these things. One worker named Liz MacArthur says, The other night I went to work, I actually made no money because it was icy out and no one came in except one table and the other server got the table. Right now the tips, half the time I don't get paid the minimum wage per hour, the seven fifty. She's got a three-year-old daughter And she's trying to work her way through nursing school, waiting tables. No legislator should support cutting the minimum wage. But for Democrats in particular to try to betray the voters 
an attempt to cut the subminimum tipped wage is absolutely unacceptable. Some people just don't want anyone else to have anything. I can't. I suppose uh, it'll cost Mr. LePage more money. No, it won't. Why? He's not paying for it. Uh, anyway. This is uh, greed. Pure and simple. Just greed. Okay, let's get some music. Uh... This is the B, and this is Labor and Love. Um, I'd like to play some more Paul Robeson. Or let's get this one. Dear Mr. President, this is from Pink. Dear Mr. President, what about us? La -da -da -da. Dear Mr. President, come take a walk with me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly. What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street? Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Are you proud? How do you sleep while the rest of us cry? How do you dream when a mother has no chance to say goodbye? President, were you a lonely boy? Are you a lonely boy? How can you say no child is left behind? We're not dumb and we're not blind. They're all sitting in your cells while you pave the road to hell. What kind of father would take his own daughter's rights away? And what kind of father might hate his own daughter if she were gay? I can only imagine what the first lady has to 
president You'd never take a walk with me don't understand and think that you're a woman but acting like a man Hey, Lord and Mama, what you gonna do now? The whole round world No, it wasn't you That caused this bit of fate All these years you loved him And he knows it's true Cause what you want for your man Is what he's wanting to Hey, guys What you gonna do?
Nina Simone with her Blues for Mama. Before that, we had, <clears throat> pardon me, we had other song about, by Pink, about uh, women raising kids on limited resources. You don't know anything about real work, she says. That's real work. And before that, we had Governor LePage cutting, wanting to cut the minimum wage or roll back the minimum wage after it was passed uh, by a referendum. Just amazing. What does George Carlin have to say? Here's another slogan. God bless America. Here's another slogan you run into all the time. God bless America. Once again, respectfully, I say to myself, what the fuck does that mean? God bless America? Is that a request? Is that a demand? Is that a suggestion? Politicians say it at the end of every speech, as if it were some sort of verbal tick that they can't get rid of. God bless you and God bless America. God bless you and God bless America. I guess they figure if they leave it out, someone's gonna think they're bad Americans. Let me tell you a little secret about God, folks. God does not give a flying fuck about America, okay? He doesn't care. He never cared about this country. He never has, he never will. He doesn't care about this country any more than he cares about Mongolia, Transylvania, Pittsburgh, the Suez Canal, or the North Pole. He simply doesn't care, okay? He doesn't care. Listen, hey, there are 200 countries in the world now. Do these people honestly think that God is sitting around picking out his favorites? Why would he do that? Why would God have a favorite country? And why would it be America out of all the countries? Because we have the most money? Because he likes our national anthem? Maybe it's because he heard we have 18 delicious flavors of classic rice-a-roni. It's delusional thinking, it's delusional thinking, and Americans are not alone with these sort of delusions. Military cemeteries around the world are packed with brainwashed, dead soldiers who were convinced God was on their side. America prays for God to destroy our enemies. Our enemies pray for God to destroy us. Somebody's gonna be disappointed. <laughs> Somebody's wasting their fucking time. Could it be everyone? <laughs> now, now. If people want to say God bless America, that's their business, I don't care, but here's what I don't understand. If they say God bless America, presumably they believe in God. And if they do, they must have heard God loved everyone. That's what he said. He loved everyone and he loved them equally. So why would these people ask God to do something that went against his own teachings? You know what these God bless America people ought to do? They ought to check with that Jesus fellow they're so crazy about. They're always talking about what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? They don't want to know so they can do it. They just want to know so they can tell other people to do it. Well. I'll tell you what Jesus would have done. I'll tell you what Jesus would have done. He would have got up on the top of the Empire State Building and said, God bless everyone around the world forever and ever till the end of time. That's what Jesus would have done. And that's what these people should do. Or else they should admit that God bless America is really just some sort of an empty slogan with no real meaning except for something vague like, good luck. <laughs> good luck, America. You're on your own which is a little bit closer to the truth.
Okay, that's George Carlin's read on God Bless America. Sounds pretty sensible. Towards the end of his life, um, Carlin entered a phase that some call bitter, but I would call truth teller. Uh, he came out and said things that other people only thought or suspected. He just came out and said them, whether he's right or wrong or whether you like him or not. He was telling it like it was, as far as he was concerned. And let's listen to some labor news now. Here's your Win Week in Review from Workers Independent Network. Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. The AFL-CIO says if the leaked draft of the Republican health care plan is the one they go with, it's a non-starter. AFL-CIO President Rich Trumka says the leaked GOP health care plan lowers the health care bar when we should be raising it instead. He says the GOP is lowering America's health care under the guise of reform. Trumka also noted that the Republican plan would slash health care for tens of millions of Americans and impose a new tax directly on America's working people threatening to destroy the health coverage we earn on the job. About 25% of the Environmental Protection Agency's budget is being cut by Trump. Approximately 3,000 EPA jobs will be cut, going from 15,000 down to a staff of 12,000. John O'Grady is president of AFGE's National Council of EPA Locals, the largest union representing EPA workers. Morale is in the basement, possibly lower. We're already at a point where we don't have enough staff to do everything that Congress has tasked us with. And to reduce the staff by another 3,000 is going to make it impossible for U.S. EPA to protect human health and the environment. No, Dr. King always talked about a union. He said the, the, the best anti-property program he knew was the union. Activist actor Danny Glover. On Saturday, Glover will join U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders, NAACP President Cornell William Brooks, clergy and hundreds of Nissan workers for the March on Mississippi. It's a rally in March for a union as well as for civil rights at Nissan's Canton, Mississippi. Plant. The workers and their supporters are demanding that Nissan respect workers' rights to vote for a union without fear of retaliation. Senator Sanders says that Nissan has union representation at 42 out of its 45 plants around the world, and the American South should not be treated any differently. The recent victory by the National Nurses United California Nurses Association at Kaiser Permanente after a 17-month struggle has secured a good contract for 1,200 Los Angeles nurses, another 550 nurses at 21 Kaiser hospitals across northern and central California just became NNU-CNA union members. Deborah Berger is co-president of the National Nurses Nurses United and president of California Nurses Association. She says the Los Angeles Kaiser nurses were long overdue for a pay raise. These nurses have been without a pay raise for over six years. So this settlement is huge in many, many ways because those nurses have not given up. They continued the struggle. Retirement security for working people in America is a huge issue. As 401k personal retirement accounts displace traditional defined benefit pensions, working people are discussing Discovering it's creating weaker rather than stronger retirement security. Ron Auer directs CorePath, an international pension alliance working to perpetuate, protect, and expand defined benefit pension plans. The great lie was that the 401 or DC plan was capable of replacing the old system of pensions, and it hasn't worked that way. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Just want to clarify, uh, they're talking about pensions. Uh, talking about a big victory for nurses, as a matter of fact, at Kaiser. But talking about pensions, a defined benefit plan is a plan where 
you are guaranteed a certain amount of money every month after you retire. That's taken out of money that was taken out of your check and supposedly invested to provide income for you. Um, many right-wing people want to, anti-worker people, want to change that to a defined uh, contribution program, which means the amount of money you put in every month is defined, but the amount you get depends on how and why and when that money is invested and in what. So it's definitely a different thing. In the one, you're promised a certain amount. In the second, it's variable. Okay, let's listen to Radio Labor now. Radio Labor is a worldwide labor report. A Radio Labor World Report. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report, recorded on Friday, March 3rd, 2017. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, unions are planning huge demonstrations for International Women's Day. The international labor movement protests the firing of more than 100,000 workers in Turkey. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Massive demonstrations against misogynist anti-women practices in the workplace, the home, and all of society are being planned by unions for March 8th, International Women's Day. Radio Labor senior correspondent Seamarie Ainsborough has a report. When United States President Donald Trump was inaugurated, half a million women in Washington and hundreds of thousands around the world marched and demonstrated. Now the organizers of the Washington March have called on women to protest the rise of misogynist politicians globally on International Women's Day, March 8th. Many labor unionists will be participating in the demonstrations. Helping to coordinate union efforts worldwide is the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. Sharon Burrow is the ITUC's general secretary. In an interview with Radio Labor, she called on unionists to show their support for the efforts to win justice for women and march on International Women's Day. I think in terms of open misogyny expressed against women, Donald Trump's unleashed a monster. It isn't, of course, just in the US. We've seen it in terms of women being equal on the streets, in terms of uprisings like the Arab Spring, but then discounted in terms of rights, employment and services in the economy post those struggles. We're seeing it in the way in which migrant women are treated in the workplace. And of course, the rise of violence against women, sexual harassment, domestic violence, these are all indicators that tragically misogyny is again on the rise. The good news is women are fighting back. Those marches that started in the US but spread around the world in solidarity, they were incredibly inspirational. 
And now you have people calling for symbolic strikes on March 8. Of course, uh, you know, that's really about recognising that women have power and that they can exercise that in a variety of ways. But it is extraordinary that, again, in, in you know, 2017, we would be facing some of the fundamentals that many uh, women of generations past, including myself as a very young woman in the 70s and the third wave of feminism, thought that we would never face again. So, yes, women are on the, on the march, misogyny is on the rise, and frankly, it must be eliminated. For more information about the ITUC's efforts to win justice for women and men, visit its website at www.ituc-csi.org. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. The international labor movement is increasing its support for union activists in Turkey. Since an attempted military coup last year, the Turkish government has fired more than 100,000 public workers. A hundred journalists have been imprisoned. Many more are out of work because the government has shut down opposition newspapers. Just recently, a 15-member delegation organized by the Global Union Education International, EI, traveled to Turkey to protest the actions of the government. EI estimates that some 37,000 teachers have been dismissed from their positions, many of whom were union leaders in local branches. The EI delegation was led by Christine Blower, the General Secretary of the UK's National Union of Teachers. A few weeks ago, another global union, Industrial, also sent a delegation to Turkey to voice opposition to the government's actions. Industrial represents workers in a wide range of sectors, from mining to manufacturing to garment production. I talked to Kamel Ozkan, the Assistant General Secretary of Industrial, and asked him to describe the situation in Turkey. I can tell you that this situation is really worrying and even frightening. Indeed, it is very bad for our workers, but let me tell you, it is also bad for the overall society, for all those people. And uh, I can tell you that the the key main elements of democracy and democratic institutions in Turkey are now disappearing. It really dismantles the whole democratic infrastructure. I understand that many people have been removed from their jobs. More than 100,000 people were taken from their positions, particularly as uh, the public servants, through presidential decrees with the claim that uh, they are part of terrorist organizations without any proof uh, from anywhere, without any court decision. And thousands of people were fired Another global union concerned about the repression of workers in Turkey is the International Federation of Journalists. Philippe Lehout is the president of the IFJ. The situation for journalists is worse than ever in Turkey. At present, some 107 journalists are jailed, but several hundreds are indicted, and uh, almost 2,500 journalists were dismissed and uh, they are accused all of being a member of an armed organization 
or for aiding an illegal organization and so on, uh, uh, accused of uh, being a complice of the, the attempt coup, which is, uh, of course, unacceptable. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Star correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the up to 200 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to news about the consumer solidarity shown to Irish retail workers whilst on strike, the celebrations after Palestinian workers won a first collective agreement with an Israeli settlement employer, union resistance to international monetary funds dictates in Tunisia and Greece, and a huge bank workers strike in India that brought that country's finance sector to its knees. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Workers at a Samsung plant in Vietnam rioted after management mistreatment. Transport workers continued their strike in Bangladesh to protest police harassment. Strikes to enforce long ignored agreements between healthcare and university workers and the Kenyan government continued this week despite threats of legal action. Tertiary education workers in Nigeria began a walkout over wages and allowances. Solid waste collection workers in Pakistan returned to work after a successful strike over wages and job security. Rotating strikes at Spanish ports started to affect supply chains worldwide. And civil servants in Zimbabwe were enjoying widespread support from their fellow citizens as they struggled for the right to be paid for their work. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the effects of layoffs on the gender pay gap in Australia, preparations for International Women's Day worldwide, and the death of a woman journalist in Kurdistan. The health and safety newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the health effects of low wages and precarious employment on Canadian workers a safety strike by Israeli heavy equipment operators, and the deaths of yet more South African miners. Next week, look for coverage of a public transport workers' strike in Ireland over unilateral wage cuts, and a planned and huge teachers' walkout over education funding in Argentina. Currently, Labour Start is running eight online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Radio Labor's newscasts are available on its website, iTunes, mobile phones, union websites, and community radio stations. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Blues with a feeling.
what your daddy got today. your daddy got today I have got to find my baby she take me all night and day Honey, ain't it hard to love somebody Clap for God and love you
52 room There's too many rats in his cage of a world And the women know their place They sit home and write letters Then they visit once a year When they both just sit down and stare See how we are Gotta keep bars in between us See how we are We only sing about it once in every 20 years See how we are all oh, see Seven kinds of coke, 500 kinds of cigarettes. This freedom of choice in the USA drives everybody crazy. Down in Acapulco. Well, they don't give a damn about kids selling chicklets with no shoes on their feet. See how we are. Get the hell out of my way, pinche indio. See how we are, we only sing about it once in every 20 years. See how we are, oh, see how we are. Well, this morning, the alarm rang at noon, and I'm trying to write this letter to you about how. I care, why I just can't be there to draw your bath and comb your hair. Last night in a nice bottom where things ain't so hot, my friend said I met a boy and I'm in love. I said, Oh, really? What's this one's name? She said his first name is Homeboy. I said, could his last name be Trouble? See how we are. Homeboy is not one of those South Central ghetto names. See how we are. We only sing about it once in every 20 years. See how we are. Oh, see. So we all gotta move This bottom rung ain't no fun at all Cause now fires and rock houses And grape-flavored rat poison Are the new trinity For this so-called community See how we are Gotta keep bars out of our windows See how we are we sing about it once in every 20 years See how we are all oh, see How we are See how we are Yeah, see how we are
John Legend. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. Oh, you see, war is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Signs. Don't punish me with brutality. Come on, talk to me so you can see. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Picket lines 
picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me So you can see What's going on What's going on What's going on Oh, what's going on What's going on? Here's Fred Neal. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping, staring I can't see the faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going with the sun Shining through the pouring rain Going where the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast wind Sailing on a summer breeze Skipping over the ocean like stone Okay, that was my freebie. I said, normally we play uh, topical music. <clears throat> Fred Neal's song, 
Everybody's talking at me. Love song. I won't let you leave my love behind. This day in labor history. March 1st, 1932, the Norris LaGuardia Act passed the Senate by a 75 to 5 vote and was signed by President Herbert Hoover a few days later. Uh, this act outlawed the notorious Yellow Dog Contract. Yellow Dog Contract is a contract you sign when you go to work, which, ne which means that you sign that you'll never join a union. The final bill outlawed the Yellow Dog Contract, established the principle that unions are free to form without employer interference, although there was no real enforcement mechanism for that principle, and prevented federal courts from issuing injunctions in nonviolent labor strikes, which had been a classic strategy of employers to bust unions in the past half century. This day in labor history. Looking on uh, libcom.org, a story about the Tecovo cotton workers' strike in April of 1932, examining class, gender, identity, politics in Stalin's Russia. This was a strike by workers who were not receiving their ration of food and who were overworked. Any kind of dispute that they raised was called a bourgeois or a petty bourgeois attitudes. And they actually gained, went on strike for several days at a textile mill and actually gained concessions from the Stalinist government. Uh, including food ra uh, more food rations. So you think you've got it tough? You think it's tough that uh, Trump was elected? These people went on strike against Joseph Stalin. Want to play some more Willie Nelson? We're going to start doing that and right today. I've got a comment by Willie about our new non-president who's president. Willie Nelson sounds off. Do you think he could become president? Well, stranger things have happened, I suppose. Well, I don't have anything personally against Donald. I think he's a great hustler. And, and as a brother hustler, I wish him well. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a great salesman. And uh, whether that'll make a good president or not, I don't know. I don't care about refugees. Bring them all in. I don't care. Uh, I don't care about borders. We don't need a laws. A lot of governors disagree with you. The majority of governors are saying, do not care. come to my state. And you say that's wrong. Yeah, absolutely, it's wrong. It's what, our, it's what our big Statue of Liberty says. Come on in. fighting, what, for 50 years to legalize? Oh, yeah. What is your issue with these 
millionaires, tech, Silicon Valley guys coming in trying to get in on this? Well, I don't care. It's in, it's in America, you know. It's uh, open business. If you know it's illegal to do it, do it. Uh, I don't know how they're growing theirs. All I know is that ours will be organic, and uh, it won't have any pesticides or won't have any chemicals in it. And I would really hope that theirs would be the same way. Believe it or not, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago, we did a song together. It's never come out. Why? I don't have any earthly idea. And of course, you know, she has her life moving around and I have mine and we've never talked. So there's this gem. So if you, this get, if you see her, ask her. <laughs> when I find Barbara Streisand, Barbara? Barbara. Where's the Willie Barbara Where's our song? song? Yeah. Okay, that was Willie Nelson sounding off in his inimitable way about uh, Donald Trump. And I want to end today with a burst of enthusiasm, a burst of optimism. We will win, they will lose. And... What else, who else could sing that better than Paul Robeson? Music by Beethoven. Brother, sing your country's anthem, shout your land's undying fame. Light the wondrous tale of nations with your people's golden name. Tell your father's noble story, raise on high your country's sign. Join then in the final glory, brother, lift your flag with Son of peace, new rising, hold the war clouds close furled. Blend our banners, all oh my brothers, in the rainbow of the world. Red as blood and blue as heaven, wise as age and proud as youth melt our banner wonder woven in the one great light of truth the road of peace before us build it wide and deep and long speed 
the slow and check the eager, help the weak and keep the strong. None shall push aside another, none shall let another fall. March beside me, oh my brothers, all for one and one for all. All right, this is the B. And it's about time to wind it up, work in the morning shift with you, as on every Saturday. If you miss the show live, tune in at mutinyradio.fm slash podcast. And don't forget the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, going strong through tomorrow evening. This is where comedians come to test their chops. And it's all organized and run by our station manager here, the great Pam Sadai. So come on in. A partir de las seis, after six, 6 p.m. every day, comedy, live, raw, comedy, cutting edge. Anyway, this is The B. Thank you for tuning in. If you did, and if you didn't, thank you for listening to the podcast as always we remind you that if someone gets a dollar they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get and if you don't have a seat at the table the negotiating table that is where you work you're probably on the menu and one more thing never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor, and when I say labor, I mean you. Kerry Miraji here with the Internacional. Stay strong, we will win, they will lose. Have a good week and remember the 150 workers who died today in the US from job-related causes or conditions and the 3,500 workers worldwide who died today for those work-related reasons. Okay, happy Saturday and good work to you.
Can you tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. This is Tuchelmatos with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for mere fun every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's Performance Space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Oh. 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRack. <laughs> SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. The second annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming March 1st through 5th, 2017 to San Francisco, featuring 25 shows in five days and 50 comedians from across the entire U.S., from Washington and Portland to Los Angeles, New York to Indiana, Tennessee to Pennsylvania, these comics will join San Francisco's best underground comedians for five days of comedy at Mutiny Radio. All shows will be live streaming and available after via podcast at www.mutinyradio.fm. But see them live in our intimate 30-seat performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Mission, March 1st through 5th. Tickets available on our website, www.mutinyradio.fm now. Brought to you by our generous festival sponsors, Alta California Botanicals, Destiny's Mom, What a Tomato Produce Company, the law offices of John P. Strauss III, Asiento, FruitFruitHot.com, JankyTown.org, Brooke Heineken, Pervert Fervor, and Trina Roderick. Asiento. This locally owned Mission Neighborhood Bar and Restaurant is excited to be a sponsor for the festival. We hope you'll join us any night of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for happy hour pricing all night long. Just mention that you are an audience member for happy hour pricing March 1st through the 5th at Asiento. Our address is 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood.